Okay, so this is the second final week in this series called Fatal Distraction. And uh, last week I asked you some simple questions like, and, and we almost, well, I think it was unanimous, said that, decided that there were more distractions in life now than there were five or ten years ago. So today I want to, to do another exercise. This is a simple exercise, but involves technology. So I'm giving you permission, if you have your mobile phone with you, to get your mobile phone out. Get it out of your bags, your handbags, your pockets, whatever. Now, this, is, this, this might stump some of us. What I want you to do, if you know how to do it, yes, very, very good, Roger, you have a good laugh, yeah. <laughs> Cheryl will be scrabbling down the phone. I want you to find out how many apps you currently have open on your phone. If that's an Apple phone, you, you can kind of swipe it and it'll show you all the ones that are open. I want you to count them. How many apps have you got open right now? You haven't got any. <laughs> Phone's broke. Okay, have you done it? Okay, who wants to own up to having more than five apps open? Yeah, more than five apps. Who wants to own up to having more than ten apps open? Okay, Jessie's the queen of apps. <laughs> Penny. Uh, who's going to go for 15? Who's going to go for over 20? You beat me. I had 19 when I tried it yesterday. Okay, how many girls? More than 30. <laughs> More than 30 apps open on your phone. Okay. Right. Here's, here's the thing. Having apps, just in case you're worried, Cheryl, having apps open on your phone will not damage your phone. Okay. But what it will do is it mean everything works really slow. And it'll suck the life out of your battery. And the same is true for you. The same thing's true for you. When you've got too many things running in your life and in your day, too many things going on, it leads to poor performance and exhaustion. And in the age we live in, the time we live in with technology and so on, everything is just quicker and more demanding. And that's why it's really important that we, we understand how to overcome distraction, how to deal with distraction. Because when your attention's divided, it undermines your intention. Divided attention undermines your intention, Mrs. 30 plus apps. <laughs> okay? And when your attention is drawn into all sorts of things, you lose out. This is why it's good for you. What I'm saying today is really positive and helpful for you because you lose out. You lose out in relationships if they don't have your attention. Um, you lose out in your career. You lose out in your job. You lose out in ministry. And ultimately, it's the best things in life, the ultimate things, the really important things that lose out when we struggle with distraction. Distraction. Okay, so this word. I talked about what it means meant in Latin last week, so I, I, I'm going to simplify it for simple people. 
like me, distraction in English means lack of traction or lack of forward movement. And that happens to everyone everywhere. So if you're feeling like that, if you're feeling like, like life's just piling in, I don't know where to, what to do first, don't want to know what to address first, don't know what to think, stuff's just going on, it's just too much for me, then you're not alone. It's something that affects so many people. And maybe you're feeling like that today, maybe that's you today. And if it is, then we need to know how to deal with it. So we're looking at Nehemiah. We're looking at Nehemiah and what's happening in his life because there's some really important lessons for us in this, some really good lessons. And if you remember from last week, so this is my summary from last week. If you remember from last week, Nehemiah starts hearing reports coming back from Jerusalem and they're not good news. Despite the fact that it's over 100 years since uh, the permission was to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, rebuild the wall, Despite all of that, it's still not there. The, the, the walls are down, the gate, there's no gates. The whole place is open to marauders and enemies. And, and there doesn't seem any impetus for it to happen. And he's troubled by it. He sees that that shouldn't be. It shouldn't be like this. And when you're troubled by something, then... When something troubles you, you have to let it trouble you. Because kind of one of the ways we get through life is just to shove stuff aside and, and just get on day to day, plowing through. And, and when we live life like that, we never see in our life the great purpose that God has for us. We, uh, we did a funeral yesterday um, over in Norwich. And it's somebody we'd known for about five or six years. And one of the things that you, you see when you go to a funeral, well, it was a celebration of life. The funeral was actually done uh, a few weeks ago. And you see the kind of pictures from boyhood to manhood to, to so on. And it, we, I was looking at these pictures and it was so sad because I was thinking that there was this young guy and he had so much optimism and so much purpose and so much life. And yet at the end of his life, at the age of 57, he'd lost it all. And it was just so sad that he'd never seen that stuff that he wanted to see because his life just went all over the place. He, he, didn't, he didn't keep on track with what God had purposed for him. And every one of us is made for a purpose. Every one of us is unique. Every one of us has a place. Every one of us has, has a life to live as part of the body of Christ and, 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 and in our day-to-day -day life that is meant to have a purpose because God told us that he had things that he'd set before us for us to do. And, and when we miss that, then life can sometimes just turn out sad. And... We can, we can be disappointed. The, the biggest thing that the, this, this guy that we know had, he was just disappointed with his life because he, he'd, not, he'd not walked in what God gave him to do. And so when something troubles you, you have to let it trouble you. You have to follow through. You have to keep your eyes on it. And, and Nehemiah, he had this burden. He saw 
that unless he got involved, what should be would never be. And, and he carried this burden. Have you heard that word burden? It's kind of a, sometimes a Christian word, but basically there's something troubling me inside and if I don't get involved, I'll not see what should be. You see what should be, but if you don't get involved, it doesn't happen. And uh, what he did is he allowed, we talked about this last week, he allowed his discontent, that, that discontent inside, to maintain his focus. So he let the discontent keep where his life was focused and what he was going to do. So what's happening within him? Well, I want to talk you through a, a process this morning, a process that, that leads either to seeing that, that thing, that, that purpose for your life come to pass, or missing it. Now, you can see this with Nehemiah. So what he did, and this is, this is kind of cool, he, say, he basically sets off and he hears this news and he says, I'm not satisfied, that shouldn't be. This, this, isn't, this isn't the outcome that we should be getting. And so he, he saw that there was a problem. I'm going to sound Anglican, like I grew up, because I've got three Ps. Okay, three Ps. Ps always a good one to get numbers of, of words. So the, he saw there was a problem, and he saw what could be. Not what was there now, but what could be. So he saw a possibility. So he saw the problem. He saw what could be. He saw there was a possibility. And he decided he was going to engage with what should be. The purpose or the passion. So there's a, there's a problem. He, he sees what could be, which is the possibility of things being different or things being better or things being improved. And he says, okay, I'm going to engage with what should be. That, I'm going to let that passion and that purpose be the focus of what I'm going to do. And that's a decision process we all need have to go through as individuals. And, and it's not a one-off. It's a regular one where we go, okay, I need to get back on track. I need to just get back my life back on track. I need to get uh, find that purpose again, that excitement, that hunger, that desire, whatever you want to call it. I need to get back on track, and I need to find those things again. And so these, these people come along. Okay, do you remember this from last week? The, he's got some unhelpful people who come along in the disguise or the guise of saying they want to help him. So... I took you right to the end of the story last week, and, and this is what, what's happening. And if you remember, they, they come back for a fifth time. First four times, they come, and he says, I'm not coming down because I'm doing a great work. I'm not coming down from the wall because I'm doing a great work. So the fifth time, and this is where we pick up the story this week, and it's chapter 6, verse 4, and he says, The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. An open letter, what, what that's about is, guys, anybody can read this. I've got some news you all need to look at. This is my social media post. This is my Facebook post. And this is going to tell you some juicy stuff about Nehemiah. 
So everybody like and comment on my post. Anybody can look at this. Here it is out there. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you some, some, some bad stuff, some dirt on Nehemiah. So he's got this open letter. And this is what it said. There is a rumor. There is always a rumor when God has given us a purpose. It's really important to, to, to realize that the enemy does not want to see what God has purposed come to pass. And there's always rumors because people like to talk. People like to make assumptions. People have ideas that don't have any grounding in fact. And, and rumors surround, and we love rumors, in, in our society, we love gossip. We love it so much that nobody now has any idea what is actually true. Because we have a rumour-driven culture. And, and that's what he's creating there. There's a rumour surrounding among the surrounding nations, so it's gone wild. We have a viral rumour. And Geshem tells me, Geshem, because how would he know? He, he has not been there. Geshem tells me it's true. Have you, have you ever seen that? Have you experienced that? Maybe some of, some of the, the younger ones. Do you experience that on social media? Everybody says it must be true because everybody says it's true. And, and there's no support. And so that's what's happening here. Geshem tells me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. And that's why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. Well, that's kind of cool, isn't it? It's quite a big story, this one. He also reports, he's a real, well, he's a real gossip. He's a real rumour spreader, this Geshem, isn't he? A real underminer of what God wants to achieve. And he comes along, he says, he reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there's a king in Judah. And Nehemiah spots this for what it is. And he said, he, he's, his thought process is this. When you, when you read the, the, the whole thing, this is, what he, this is what his thought process right at that moment. Okay. You, Sambala, you Geshem, you don't have the same agenda. You don't have the same goal as me, and you're not going in the same direction. So it's going to be a distraction because we don't want the same things. So I'm doing a great work and I'm not coming down. And so they then attempt blackmail. They put the pressure on. They make threats. And so this, this is what happens. You can be very sure that this report is going to get back to the king. How's it going to get back to him? Because I'm going to do it. You can be really sure I'm going, to, I'm going to go and dob you in. So I suggest you come and talk it over with me. In other words, if you do this how I want it done, there's not a problem for you. But if you, if you don't, I'm going to threaten you. I'm going to cause problems. I'm going to go to the king. And I replied, there's no truth in... So this is Nehemiah. This is his response. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making the whole thing up. 
They were just trying to, what, intimidate us, imagining they could discourage us and stop the work. So here's what I did. This is what Nehemiah says. So here's my response to that. I continued with the work with even greater determination. Well done, Nehemiah. And that, that's the sort of, of um, drive and purpose that the Holy Spirit puts in our hearts. When we engage with what the Holy Spirit wants to do, that's what he puts in our hearts. I'm going to do it. And even though this is going on around me, even though there's all these distractions and problems, I am going to do it with even greater de determination. And here's the, here's the thing. This is how this, this kind of pans out in, in our lives. Because there's all these distractions kept coming to Nehemiah right through this process of rebuilding the wall and rebuilding the gates. And they, they were random things. Like stuff would just happen. And you go like, where did that one come from? Where did that one come from? Why did that person say that? Why did they think that? And, and there was these random things Untrue things, manipulated things, things designed to put pressure on. I don't know, have you ever experienced that sort of thing? Have you ever experienced people and, and that happening in your life? When you, you want to get on with something and stuff just happens and, and people say the most bizarre things and the most weird things and the most aggressive things and you think man where did that come from I was, I was just trying to do a good thing so here's the thing remember i said there was a problem a possibility and a passion passion with purpose or purpose with passion how do you get through all that to actually live out what god gave you to do how do you get all through all that to live out the passions of your heart how do you get through all that to see the dreams that God's put in your heart for your life actually come and happen? How do you get through it? Well, hopefully Nehemiah or that, that, that little book in the Bible is going to be helpful. Because the first question, and thankfully, God designed a visual illustration for this morning. How many of you, when you got up this morning, like it was just foggy all around you? Yeah. So in our garden, I couldn't see the trees at the bottom of the garden because all the mist comes and the fog comes down off the, the Gog Magog hills and it comes down and it all settles in our garden. So I got up, opened the curtains and it was like grey and misty and I, and I couldn't see anything. And, and sometimes life's like that, isn't it? You, you can't see for the fog in life. Fog, that, that, that fog makes it difficult to see your destination and it's the same in life. There's all this fog that goes on and it makes it hard for us to see where we're going and how to get there and what direction we should take. So I want you to imagine for a moment you're driving a car and you can't see very far in front of you. You set off early this morning, this was you. It's worse at night, isn't it? So imagine driving a car at night and you've got this pea super fog. It's just pea super translating the self. Yeah, pea soup is green and thick, and that's what like fog we used to be up in the Lake District, a pea super. So we have pea super fog. So I just want you to imagine you, you've got to get somewhere. 
You've got to be somewhere and you've got to get there. And you've got to get through this fog. So what do you do? You put your fog lights on, don't you? And you drive slowly, but you keep going. You keep going straight in front of you. You don't stop because you'll never get there. You don't give up because, again, you'll never get there. You put your lights on and you focus on what's right in front of you. And hopefully what's right in front of you isn't a wall. Hopefully what's in right in front of you is somebody else's taillights in the distance or the, the cat's eyes on the road or whatever. And that's true. That same process is true about our families and our businesses and our careers and our jobs. The fog all around them makes it difficult to focus on where you're going. You set out to do something, and, and, and maybe this is you, maybe this is you right now. You set out to do something, and all of a sudden, people bring you all their problems. I'm getting nods over this side. There's some correlation between nods and apps numbers open. <laughs> people bring you all their problems. Suddenly, competitors spring up from nowhere. I remember when, when Jess, she, when she was setting out in the cake business and she put um, new designs of cakes online and what was the next thing that happened? A competitor produced exactly the same design and claimed Jess had stolen hers. Because that's the way, that's what life's like. These things happen to us, but we keep going. We keep going because God's with us. God's with it. You know, critics come along. How many of you have been in that situation where you thought you were doing a really good job and, every, and, and somebody just came along and ripped into you, criticised everything you were doing? Again, it's correlation with the apps. People manipulate. People tell lies. People have this amazing capacity to twist truth. Why is that? Because the enemy... And culture works in our life so that we can't see the problem that we are the answer to. We can't get that problem nailed down about what we need to do. So we go back to Nehemiah. What did he do? He said, so I continued with even greater determination. When, when there's this fog in your life, when all, all these things come along, these critics and competitors and lies and half-truths and twisted truths and all that sort of stuff, what you have to do is determine your direction and go straight ahead. And sometimes that will involve taking some action. For instance, it might involve unfollowing some people on social media. It might involve deleting apps on your phone. There's a theme on this one, deleting apps on your phone. It, it, it might involve, for those who, who do this, li stop listening to some speakers. Because the more speakers you listen to, the more contradictory they are to each other. 
And that gets you confused. It gets you a fog. Maybe it's been really careful about what books you're reading. Maybe it's choosing not to expose yourselves to people who aren't going in the same direction as you. Now, here's the thing. If we don't do that, something will happen in our life that has happened to so many people. The things that are urgent will stop you seeing what is important. And particularly with technology like it is, everything is portrayed as urgent. So we need to be able to work out what's urgent and what isn't. So the best thing you can do is, and, and this, is, this is what I do to try and make sure I stay on track with what God's given me to do. This is what I do. Every day, I do something towards the goal. Every week, I do something that's more important towards the goal. And every month, I look at how far I've moved forward and then decide what I need to do next to get me back on track where I've gone off the goal. And, and it, we've got to be intentional. Otherwise, our attention will rob our intention. And it's that urgent attention that isn't really urgent that stops us ever seeing the important and achieving the important. So that's the first thing. So here's the second thing that Nehemiah gets. And this is, this is from Nehemiah chapter 5. So I'll call it... That first thing was fog, and fog stops us seeing the problem and stops us being able to work out what direction we need to go in. So this is the second one. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we've such large families, we need more food to survive. Okay, that's a really simple uh, problem there's a famine there's not a lot of food to go around and some of the families are starving to death others said we've mortgaged our fields vineyards and homes to get food during the famine and others said we've had we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes we belong to the same family as those who are wealthy and our children are just like theirs Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We've already sold some of our daughters and we're helpless to do anything about it for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. So, here's the thing on this one. Their complaints, what they're saying is valid. There's a big problem. And if Nehemiah doesn't deal with this problem, then it's got the potential to derail everything, to make it impossible for him to get to where he needs to get to, to complete what God's given to him. And so he's, he's, he decides, well, we've got to stop this. We've got to stop this. And this is what he, sa this is what he says. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they, they borrow money. So, just get this, people were lending money to their relatives who were starving to redeem family members out of slavery 
and charging them interest, which was putting them in a worse position, so they had to sell those family members back into slavery to get food. That's, that's the situation. And so Nehemiah says, I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we're doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who've had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you're selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. This is the one that stops us ever seeing the possibility. This, this makes the possibility impossible. And what we're dealing with here is a fire. It's not a fog, it's a fire. And we need, when that happens in your life, you need to stop to deal with it. Things happen in life that are fires. And if you don't deal with them, you'll never see your purpose. You've got to deal with that. And so here's what happens. Fires are not the same as fog. Fires are less frequent than fog. They, they don't happen all the time. They maybe happen two or three times in your life. We've had, over the life of faith life, we probably had a couple of fires that had to be dealt with. But they don't happen over the time. In 17 years, we're not fires all over. Not of the wrong kind, anyway. And what that means for us as believers and the followers of Jesus, you've got to learn to discern between what's a fog and what's a fire. Because you don't treat the two the same. A fog, you go through. A fire, you've got to deal with. Now, here's the thing about dealing with a fire. And why some people kind of get stuck there. When you deal with a fire it might be a mess. Because fire extinguishers make messes. And you can't control where all the mess goes. But you have to put it out. You have to deal with it, and you have to deal with it then. Now, here's the important thing. Not that you had to deal with it. But you recognise the difference between a fire, something that's going to make it impossible for you ever to get where you're going, and fog, which is just designed to delay you and get in your way and get your eyes off where you're going. Once you've dealt with the fire, you have to move on. You have to get back on track as quickly as possible. And, and, and this, this, I've seen this over and over again. People get stuck in their life in the mess where they put the fire out. And they start living there. And it's time for some of us to move out of that mess. Time for some of us to move out of that mess this morning and say, enough is enough. I'm going to get back on track. I know what God's purpose my life for. I know what he wants me to do. And I'm not going to just sit in that mess and live in that mess any longer. It's had enough of my life. Here's the last one. This one's designed to steal your passion and your purpose. 
interesting thing about Nehemiah is he doesn't seem to be bothered or is bothered by a lot of the things that other people bothered about. He doesn't seem to be phased about it, but lots of people around him are. So I'm going back to Nehemiah 4. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Okay, so this is all the enemies, you know, those that have been stirring stuff. So they've got, they've got plans to throw a spanner in the works. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. It's an important thing to guard the walls. It's an important thing to guard the city. It's an important thing to guard the church. It's an important thing to guard your life. Then the people of Judah began to complain. So the enemies are coming and the people inside the walls start to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. If I saw an enemy coming, I'm not bothered about the rubble, but they're complaining about what's going inside when there's, there's like the enemy is coming on the outside. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The thing that robs us of passion and purpose is fear. Most of our lives, most of us in our lives have dealt with fear that's kept us from things that are really meaningful. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you right now. Kept you from accomplishing things. Kept you from believing that you can do the important things that God's asked you to. You remember when you, you set your sight and you said, that's what I want to see in that, my life. That's what God's given me a passion for. And yet all sorts of things came in and now you're just frozen. Now you're thinking, like, I'm never going to see it. I'm never going to see it. I'm never going to see it. That's fear. That's anxiety. It's worry. Fear attacks you on the inside. But more often, it doesn't stop there. It causes you to want to quit. Because fear robs your passion. And... In our society right now, and it's, it's kind of really well reported, there's a massive um, problem with kids and teenagers and young adults with anxiety and fearing of failing, fear of not being accepted, fear of all sorts of things. And, it, and it's robbing them of the passion of life. The, the joy has gone out of life by the time they're 18. And, and when we experience that, and maybe this is what happened to our friend that we did the funeral for yesterday. When we, when we appear that, things can disintegrate in our lives. They can disappoint in our lives. And it can go on for years. Your business can stall. It can go backwards. Your career can plateau. Your church can go backwards. Your life can fall off. And you get locked into this day-to-day, -day, I just need to get through and maintain that status quo. I just need to get through today. 
and then another day, and then another day. And then it's five years, and then it's ten years, and that's how we've lived. Why does that happen? It happens for two things. Now, the first thing I want you to see is the enemy is outside, but the complaining is inside. And that's not a coincidence. When there's enemy threats outside, the enemy always also works from within to complain. Because then you can't deal with the enemy outside. Here's why that's important. Because sometimes we can get sucked into, as believers, Jesus followers, we can get sucked into what happens and how people behave outside. And we can just be complainers inside. And that doesn't help. We, we're just helping the enemy. We're making ourselves more vulnerable. Here's the second thing. There's a, a deception that we bought into in our culture, in our society, that is so subtle that we don't even realize it's a deception. Here's the deception. In order to make ourselves feel secure and deal with fear and anxiety and worry, in order to make ourselves feel secure, we need to protect ourselves from any risk or stress. And, and that's a deception we bought into in our society, so much so that some of you are probably sat there and thinking, well, that's right, isn't it? I need to protect myself from any risk, any stress, any problems. Unfortunately, that's not true. It's not true biblically, but more importantly, it's not even true in the natural. Psychiatrists... Who, who study these things and, and help people with these things, they will tell you that that is totally the wrong approach. That will only make you more worried, more anxious, more stressed, and eventually you'll be so closed down that your, your joy of life is just gone. Psychiatrists, what they'll tell you, and the Bible tells you, is this. For a person to become secure, you have to expose yourself to what is risky, what you're afraid of. To overcome your anxiety, the only way you can be free of that is to build resilience. That's what Nehemiah had. He had resilience. And it's that resilience that gives you your security. Here's the thing that Nehemiah discovered. He discovered, I'm just trying to get the verse. What Nehemiah discovered was this. The only way you can overcome fear 
and anxiety and worry and feel secure in your life is to replace that fear with an even greater fear. You replace the fear of man and the fear of failure with the fear of God. That's the only way that security can be found in life. That's why this is such good news. It sounds like a negative, but it's such good news because it gives us the answer that the only way that we are going to get through and live that life that God designed us for and see the things that we dreamt about when we were 10 and 15 and 20 and 25, the only way we can get through is to replace all the stuff that's got in front of us and got in our way and got into our lives and got inside us with the fear of God. Because then we'll discover our passion for his purpose. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there now. Can I have the worship team back up? Some of you have lost your passion for what you once would have said was important. Lost your passion for seeing things change. Lost your passion for doing things well. Lost your passion for that purpose God put in your life. Lost your passion for living beyond yourself. And I want to give us an opportunity this morning to replace that fear of failure, that fear we'll never see it, that fear of man with the power and fear of God. I don't think this is for everybody, but some of you are kind of stuck there. And some of you haven't even got there because you're still sat and stuck in the mess of putting out the fire. You haven't even got to the fear bit. And, and you, you, you're just stuck at this point in life and don't feel you can ever get past it. When you, when, you, when you get up in the morning, you think about it. When you take decisions, it affects your decisions. When you're um, just trying to move forward, it keeps coming back. And I want to give you the opportunity for that hold on your life to be broken this morning. So we're going to go back into worship and as, as we proclaim the truth in this song, if any of that's touched something with you, then I want you to come forward and we're going to be praying for you here, okay, on this side. So as we go into worship, then do come forward. I'm going to be praying for people. Joyce is praying uh, Christina, and if there's lots of you, then we'll get some more, okay? But don't hold back because we don't want the enemy outside to win inside. Amen. <laughs>